drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the eighth episode of the third series of Drive-By Cinema, the podcast where we watch the movies so you don't have to, but you may. We're not stopping you. This is my co-host, Paul. Thank you, Richard, for giving everybody permission to watch these movies. And I'm Rick. I can confirm these facts are true. This episode, sponsored by Paul's exciting venture in heated jackets. Indeed, yeah. Which he has imported from China to forestall the energy crisis. At any moment, Paul, I'm expecting your heated jacket to burst into flames. (laughs) Well, uh, these do not have ISO standard. Uh, so I, I researched, you know, as a sole trader. You know, sole traders are liable unless they've got what, sole What trades. is your liability for people well, dying infinite, in your... Well, infinite as a sole trader. However, you can buy sole trader insurance. Uh, uh, now, uh, I've looked into it. Okay, uh, they're on a 5-volt DC. Uh, they are copper wires. They might get hot. Uh, but it's all flame retardant material. When I was a kid, my grandmother and I think my mum were they were they were superstitious about electric blankets. We could reason. That's not DC. It's two hundred and forty volts, Richard. That's solved technology now. No one's scared of electric blankets anymore, Paul. I, I salute your industriousness, Paul. Yeah, but I, I mean, wow. I mean, compared to the adverts out there, you know, with this young, young sort of digital native generation, you know, me writing a paragraph about machine washable. It just doesn't cut it in the Facebook marketplace of today. Paul, I, say it ain't so. You, the marketing manager of <laughs> Drive-By Cinema, you're having trouble marketing your own heated jackets in I, I an energy know. crisis. Well, I, I, I think it's to do with time allocation. I've only really spent half an hour putting the adverts up, whereas I think other people might spend a little long, you know, uh, you know, sort of a photoshopping uh, mountainous backgrounds and flaming hot flames coming out of people's... Wonderful, wonderfully green screen jacketed jacket. So, Paul, you've missed an opportunity. This could have been our first merch, couldn't it? It could have been a drive-by cinema. Do you know? I was speaking jacket. to Tina. I was speaking to Tina at EJ Corporation in Shenzhen. She said, "Do you want it? Do you want the logo on?" I said, "No, I don't want a logo on." And that's a, that's. I've really missed an opportunity there. Kicking yourself, drive-by cinema heated jacket. The sensible middle-aged man. Yeah. <laughs> Great thing about a drive-by cinema logo is one, we don't have a logo, so who knows what it would look like. And two, no points, no points. nobody else would know what it is. I love logos of industries and businesses nobody understands. It's very mysterious. It's like modern archaeology. Oh, you've just he's just changed his temperature for the viewers at home. He's just gone to full hot. <laughs> <laughs> now I can't zip up the collar too much because it does burn your neck a little bit. Uh, well, I'll try it. We have to get on. We have to get on because we've got lots to do here. Listen, firstly, I just wanted to point out... yes, I know. No, in all the excitement last week about us having a new monarch, we did forget... (laughs) We did forget that we also have a new government entirely. Well, we do. an important historical point for future historians, isn't it? But I was a bit disappointed that the Tories have managed not to... Not to get anyone genuine in their cabinet or in the leadership roles. Mm-hmm. Well, we've got Truss as our new Prime Minister. Not a real Truss. I'd say an Erzat Truss, at best. <laughs> we've got 
Braverman in Home Secretary position. Not a real Braverman. No. At best, a, fo- a faux Braverman, if you like. Is she prettier than Patel, though? Well, no, I don't think so, honestly. Oh, heck. And meanwhile, in the Treasury, we <laughs> we don't even have a real Quartang, do we? We have a quasi Quartang. We have a quasi Quartang. <laughs> so none of them are genuine. It's, it's a cabinet of, of fakes. And, and well, I mean, the pound is doing incredible things. It was like acrobatic performance, you know. It's doing a, it's doing a triple sulco, isn't it, with the dollar exchange rates at the moment? So that'd be. Interesting. Do you have a bet on how long Truss is going to to last, Paul? That's a really good idea. I'm just going to hop over to Betfair Exchange at the end of this podcast and make a quiet wager because <laughs> I did bet on her winning the uh, thingy, the, the the selection, the thing. leadership campaign. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was it was a no brainer, really, wasn't it? Because uh, apparently it was a no brainer. Yeah, that's exactly who won. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, but, well, because they, they, they kind of said, well, eighty percent of the people are voting for it, like halfway through. Uh, um, you know, some some diehard Rishi fans had been. One would um, think that the bookies would not have given you great odds on that. Exactly, but well, no, there were lots of diehard Rishi fans betting betting for their man. As some people want to do. I don't really understand why you would bet for the people that you like, as opposed to the people you think are going to win. And so, you know, they pushed they pushed the odds quite favourably for trusts. Actually, I think I got over at one point two or something like that. That's you know in in uh, European terms. Well, we'll let's do corrections then, Paul, oh, because nice. I know week by week you do you do carefully read the <laughs> descriptions of each episode, don't you? It was marketing manager, yeah, definitely. Yeah, exactly. Well, catch me sleeping on the job ever. You know, we talked about Kife before. Oh, yeah, eons ago. Eons ago, yeah. Kife uh, being if you, the... If you give me a choice of ABC, I can choose which one it is. But if you're going to ask me, you know, to independently come up with what Kife is, I can't quite remember. Go on, give us a choice. Give us a choice of A or B. Is it A, uh, the shape made by someone falling into snow with their hands tied behind the back? Or B... Is it the shared uh, lie or illusion perpetrated by multiple people? It's going to be B, but I still don't really understand what you're talking about. Well, like Kifei, for instance, is the constantly repeated idea that wrestling is not like fixed and just kind of choreography. Oh, right. Okay. It's a carnival term, isn't it, Kifei, where nobody talks about the fact that, you know, the bearded lady is a shaved orangutan or whatever whatever thing they're pulling. And it's the same with wrestling. So how's it different from a suspension of disbelief? It's a maintenance of belief. Suspension of disbelief sort of almost implies that you're not a willing participant. But I think in Kayfabe, everyone sort of does know, at least on some level. Just goes along with it. And, and yeah, deliberately goes along with it. Partly like, because they like it that way. Or... Like nine-year-olds and Father Christmas. Yes. Well, maybe 10-year-olds on Father Christmas. I mean, I yeah, believe in Father point. Christmas very, really late. Well, so would I, but then I discovered a Bon Tempe organ underneath my parents' bed. Well, it was... I mean, I knew my parents bought my presents, obviously. Oh. But there was still this idea, because everyone talked about him, that maybe Father Christmas did something. I thought he might bring the really crap present that I didn't care for. You know, like the the walnut that was wrapped up or whatever. The shitty present. I thought that might be the Father Christmas present. Did, did, the did, real did, present. Did in your family you ever have those sorts of uh, 
those, I don't know what you call them, those little rotating candle angels that twinkled as they rotated over the heat of candles. A mobile. Do you have a rotating angels mobile? We weren't big on You weren't kitchen enough for that. All right. n- nor naked flames. I mean, again, my family weren't big but on we electric did. We blankets. put them next to the curtain, actually, yeah. <laughs> this is so far off topic. Yeah. Anyway. Keyfabe. Do you know what the keyfabe of drive-by cinema is, by the way? It's obviously very difficult to talk about this without breaking the keyfabe, but but here we go. That's where we find ourselves. Why? Has somebody mentioned the keyfabe of drive-by cinema? Well, I'm asking you what it is, Paul, which is as an invitation almost for you to break it, unless you very carefully think about how you word it. I don't think we have a key favourite. I was going to say, it does look like you don't even know what our key fabe is. I think that might be linked to the fact that you've never read any of the episode descriptions. That is that is a grotesque untruth, Richard. I have read. Okay, you have read. Okay, you have Some read. Some of them. Then you may, may realise that, obviously, the episode descriptions are not written by either you or me, but by a third AI. party who... <laughs> who is obviously our editor, producer, and obviously important in the marketing department, but not the, the manager as you are. <laughs> Go on. Yeah. Simply to say that whoever I, that person I've never, is... I, yeah, I've never taken AI. the... Yes, I've never taken the time to find out who writes our our uh, intro intro notes, our, our credit no, notes, our show notes. You've never taken the trouble to... Congratulate them or thank them for a job no, well done. I haven't no. And so I expect you won't be you won't be berating them for the mistake that was made last week. When they call me a twat. No, but maybe no, there could should... be some truth in that actually. I mean, why don't you just read last week's um description out? Okay. Paul. I I will do. Now, listen, okay. Uh yeah. Maybe read it aloud, I don't know, for the, the audience. Not the eighties vigilante TV series with Edward Woodward. But the much maligned Netflix vanity project Interceptor. For some reason, stories of nuclear missile defense systems seem pressing irrelevant just right now. Well, it wasn't called Interceptor, the Edward Woodward uh, TV series. No, it was called The Equalizer. Equalizer, yeah. And I loved it. Whoever wrote this was clearly referring to the 80s stroke 90s game show with helicopters and Annabelle Croft that we have discussed at length oh, on the at podcast yeah. called The Interceptor. Clearly, that was what they were intending, and clearly they failed in that one job. Oh. So, having thank you, Adam, our loyal listener who always points out these errors for pointing that out, but yes, <laughs> uh, a fuck-up has occurred in the drive-by cinema Do you know, I loved... I, I love the Equalizer, but look, I, then I happened about fifteen years ago to see you know on some sort of repeat channel or late night, and uh, you know its social politics are absolutely terrifying, really. <laughs> what like the aging white man going around saving? Well, no, it's you know it's it's like you know let's let's exterminate the criminals who happen quite a lot of the time to be gay. Black or, or something else, you <laughs> Hispanic, know. Yeah. Hispanic, you know. I mean, that's all it is, really. It's get it's rid cowboys of cowboys and Indians, that, isn't it? It's Monday cowboys. Yes. Yeah. I saw they Quantum Leap the it. other week as well. They rebooted the Equalizer, didn't they, with Queen Latifah? I think. No I think way. Uh, so that maybe we're addressing that that injustice slowly but surely. Well done. And Quantum Leap was sickly sweet, wasn't it, Paul? We've got to move on because yeah. I don't know. 
we're probably about halfway into the podcast and people will be going spare (laughs) because they want to hear about this week's movie, whatever it is. Whatever it is. Shall we play some music then? Of course, Paul. Because of the clue that I gave, you know what the movie's title is. Right? I'm I'm digesting those words and still they seem to be a smorgasbord of Norwegian fish. (laughs) What was the movie? What was it called? Oh, the movie was Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Bodies, 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 yeah. Bodies, 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 yeah. And uh, I I, I went over Hill and Vale to watch this because it suddenly disappeared at my local cinema. So did I. Not because it disappeared in my local cinema, but because I was recommended to go to a cinema by a good friend. So I went not alone, late on a Sunday night, yeah. to the... Trafford Centre. The Wild... No, not, the Tra- not to the Trafford Centre, Paul. I went to Stockport. Oh, never mind. To not find a, a dead city in decline, frankly. Really? Well, like, no, nobody was out. Very little was open, and in those places that were open were not... Like able to serve you food? Did you look? Did you look through seventy touch windows and see people huddled, huddled <laughs> around around broken furniture in flames? Yeah, but burning them in the oil drums with holes cut in them, <laughs> with the fingerless gloves. I mean, no, not yet. But we're not far away unless you get your jackets out there to everybody, Paul. The cinema also was almost did, completely empty. What did they have to recommend it? What? Why? Why Stockport? Uh, it's the light cinema in Stockport, and Whoa. it's got really nice seats, and you can <gasps> take beer in and stuff. You can take your own beer in. No, I mean oh. there's a bar there, and you can take you can get a beer and. Take oh, oh yeah, yeah, okay. Or get a cup of tea or coffee. Although the ice blast machine was not functional, that was a bit of a shame. But yeah, the the seats are reclining, Whoa. not electrically reclining actually, but you just sort of slide back and they they lay back for you. I'm very comfortable. I didn't notice the time sitting there. But me and my friend walked through the door. We looked into the cinema and there was absolutely no one there to the extent that we assumed we must have gone into the wrong screen. Yeah. Because there'd been very little, very few people anyway in the entire cinema, it, it seemed. He went back and checked, but it turned out that was the right cinema. We sat down on our own. <laughs> For the duration of the movie? Oh, eventually four people came in. Oh, well, you beat me. But strangely, they went out not half an hour into the movie. <laughs> what did this movie do to them? Uh, I had, well, I had myself, uh, and then 10 minutes into the movie, I had two people, so we had three of us watching it. Uh, I paid extra for, you know, like, you know the premium seats with the leg room. Sucker. <laughs> no, I've got long legs, okay. And, uh, but you could have sat there anyway. <laughs> I could, yeah. Yeah, I could sat there, right, okay. But that wasn't the only thing, right? Okay, so I, I I went for D6, okay, and it happened to be slightly left of the middle uh, in, like, the premium row, and uh, it was so slightly well sat on. Slightly left of centre. It was so well sat on that all the leather was cracked and there probably cockroaches crawling, crawling around my groin, okay. And I didn't have the sense to change once I'd slumped in. I was so disappointed. But, yeah, before I went in, like, I brought my work bag with me because I'd come straight from work, uh, and it's a briefcase kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, I got stopped. Said, Do you mind not taking that in? What? So, yeah, I had to hand in my briefcase. What? Uh, yeah, to the office. <laughs> Do they have a cloakroom or something? So we're going to lock it up for you in the office. So I said, all right. Okay. What was their reason? I don't know. I, th- I think they said it was security and terrorist threat or something. 
So. Oh yeah, you might have blown yourself up. In the so, <laughs> so, but then I got in there. There was, there was a huge sign saying, you know, we've got night vision, right? To to detect if people are filming illegally. So it might have been that. But then I could have just got my phone out. Yeah, which is you know, as good as any camera these days, isn't it? Pretty much. Uh, so then when I picked it up, right? Okay, I went to the office to pick it up. They'd forgotten about it. Uh, I had to move on because the bowling centre opposite was closed and it was just like too late at night. It was like 12.30 when I got out of there. I saw all the night vision cameras and it's it's like, you know, clear as day. I mean, do not, you know, do not masturbate. try and ma- do not masturbate through your popcorn, popcorn, <laughs> right? Because it's, it's, it's like daytime with those night vision cameras. <laughs> really don't, you know, don't, don't do anything. Don't even scratch your nuts. It's, it's, so don't don't take your paramour in there and yeah. think you could fool around in the dark of the back row. Well, you can, but the cameras can see you and it's it's recorded for posterity. So, yeah. Mm, heads up there. There you go. Things at times have changed. It's not the place to go. Well, obviously it's not the place to go. That's why no one's there. No one wants their privacy invaded. But what what is this film all about? This is A24, a studio that we generally love. Haven't they been busy of late? Well, we've seen almost all of their recent catalogue. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, a few we more have. we could knock off, but there you go. So, yeah, Bodies, 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 uh, out of the A24 stable. It is your classic teens, early 20s, you know, young people stuck in a large house owned by one of their rich friends okay and is this like a modern day clueless or a modern day mean girls or something potentially i mean it has echoes of has echoes of lots of movies for me i was reflecting on this you know things like you remember heathers Heathers. yeah there we go you know it it really does kick back to i mean because 80s vibes are a vibe right now right yeah okay 80s is sending at this moment in the vernacular of the young uh, uh, so it ha- it all has that kind of it, it does have that kind of cruelty of eighties teen movies, you know, where the popular and one of the characters, Alice, is all decked out in de- in glowing sort of candy pop stuff, isn't she? Yeah, and also She's a very eighties thing. Yeah, Nike windbreakers kind of stuff. Yeah, and all, all that kind of all that kind of powerful color 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 clash and color coordination going on. Yeah, so there is all that. Okay. Uh, going on so i don't know really i mean obviously it's it's taking hints from from various sources movie starts with a lesbian couple having a great snog i mean really a properly good snog the kind you don't often see on movies these days this is sophie who i think is like our star isn't she really yeah and her girlfriend who's a russian called b that's right sophie and b okay now as, when we were talking about the personalities, okay, they're pretty strong, sort of Heather's nine hundred two one zero kind of rich people personalities. And so except I'm not, for B, except for B, yeah, who is just out of university of somewhere or other, okay, so she says, uh, and obviously has just moved over to the states from from Russia, we presume, okay. But uh, these personalities, they're not too sympathetic, are they? It was I found it quite hard to warm for the first half or half hour of the movie. I think you're supposed to hate these characters. All of them. Aren't you? Oh, right. Okay. I think that's because I did do. I did do. But I quite liked the essentially the the major male lead. Okay, because I mean there are only two males in the movie. I quite liked him. Which one are we talking about? Pete Davidson or Lee the guy Pace? with the black eye? Pete Pete Davidson. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
I quite liked his character, mainly because he calls them out for what they are. Despite a little bit, but he's one of them. Yeah. But he is one of them, yeah, which made it even funnier. But I, I kind of warmed to him because of that. Is he, I mean, hypocrisy can be can be affecting at times, can't it? At the start of the movie, uh, Sophie and her girlfriend B are on a, on their way to a house party of Sophie's mate. Yeah, they're rocking up to a house party of epic proportions, it would seem. Oh, a house of epic proportions. Yeah. And apparently, as we learn, it's going to be a house party brought about by a hurricane. It's a hurricane party. They're going to lock down Woo. for the night in this house while the hurricane happens with plenty of booze and food and play games and do shit. Yeah. But we do learn that Sophie is coming out of rehab. She's a recovering like, drug Drug-addict. addict yeah. and alcoholic as well. So she's sober tonight, as she tells her friend. And Sophie's kind of a big character. She's really well-dressed. Some great outfits. Some, I think the word is fit, isn't it, these days? Some great fits on, uh, on this, in this film. It also turns out she's super, super rich. She's also rich, yeah. So I guess it's all designer stuff. And her girlfriend, B is a bit plainer, isn't she? She's like a girl-next-door yeah. type. Yeah. And as it turns out, as, you, as we mentioned, she's certainly not rich, really. Uh, and working, you know, in a game shop or something. I mean, Sophie's so rich, she can, like, turn up in a really shitty old Range Rover and not really care about it. And it'd be chic in some way. Yeah. It's surely a Jeep. It's like a Grand oh, Cherokee or something, isn't it? Yes. It's, probably it's not going to be a Range Rover, is it? It could be, but it's probably not. So they go there, and there's this awkward moment where all of Sophie's old friends are greeting her, and they're also apprehending that Sophie's brought this girl with her that they don't really know. Because apparently they've only been dating for six weeks or so. Yeah, and apparently Sophie kind of self-invited herself because she wasn't on the group chat, didn't say she was coming. And there's, you know, a certain level of deflatedness when her friends sort of surface from their games in the swimming pool to see her arrive, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of this movie plays out in the the psychodrama of the social networks that they're all using. And unlike a lot of films, you don't really see people's text messages pop up on screen or all of that jazz, do you? You just see yeah. the effects of them using these things normally and all the time. You know, this movie is sometimes described as a satire of the new, the, you know, the latest generation, which I was trying to figure out what the names of the generations are. This so, would be A, so isn't it? we're Generation X, right? We're the yeah. slacker generation. Then it was the millennials, who I think are Generation Y. So they're Gen Z, are they? They're Gen Zers? That's right, yeah. And then we get, I think after Gen Zers, we get Gen Alpha or something, don't we? Yeah. But they haven't really happened yet. They're still young, aren't they? They're still babbies. So these are Gen Zers. Am I right or am I right? Or are they millennials? Yeah. Well, they're Zers. not millennials. They're not millennials. They're definitely Gen Zers. They could be cusp Gen Ayers too. No, Gen, uh, Gen Alpha are all are really young, Paul. They're at school really? still. Yeah. I think so. I think so. You're right, yes. Yeah. So these are Gen Zers. I mean, obviously, there's a big criticism of using these generations to definitely, describe people. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit like Chinese horoscopes, isn't it? Like everyone born in the year of the rat and that kind of shit. <laughs> but on the other hand, it's certainly true that kids of this era have grown up with certain social and technological cues around them that generations before them didn't necessarily have. 
Right? So, yeah. I mean, and the satire that we're watching play out in this film is the way that internet culture has affected these youths, you know, and the way, you know, I've seen it described that they're very forward with all their feelings. You know, they're always describing how they're feeling. Well, but they've been, they've been performing, you know, in public ever since they yes. grew up, you know. I mean, yes, that's the point. Yeah. They're not afraid of a lack of privacy in that sense, are they? I mean, one of them, I think Emma, is it, is an, apparently an actress, and they make a couple of references to some show she's been on. But the truth is, they're all performers. They're all in a very performant, performative space all the time. Yeah. You know, so ironically, the actress is, in in a way, one of the least, you know, forward of them all, isn't she? Yeah. I get those two confused, though. It's Emma and Alice, and I think Alice was the one wearing the glowing stuff, and Emma is the actress. And then there's Jordan, who seems to have a thing for Sophie. Yeah. But I think there was also something with one of their with a boyfriend that they might have shared or something that's confusing sort of love triangle going on. Again, this comes down to the, you know, the kind of fluidity that Gen Z enjoy in their sexual identity and sexual relationships, I think. Surely, yes. yeah. yeah. But uh, Sophie's best friend is the owner of the house, played by Pete Davidson, and he's called David, isn't David, he? David, yeah, yeah. He's now Emma's boyfriend, the actress. He's also boyfriend. like if the Beastie Boys actually grew rich rather than became rich. If that makes sense. <laughs> he's famous, right? Pete Davidson. Yeah. He's what, what's what's he famous for though? I don't know. He's a comedian, an actor, he's been on Saturday SNL, Night Live. I think so. Yeah, yeah. 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 He's a big character, isn't he? And Alice has brought to the party a Tinder date that she met, apparently we find out later, two weeks. Called Greg. Prior. Called Greg. Now he's much older than the others. He is, yeah. He's played by Lee Pace. Uh, and they all think he's in his 40s or something. I don't know. So uh, he seems out of place, but Alice seems very keen on him. Yeah. So you were talking about, you know, generational morality and that kind of thing. I was really reminded of Brett Easton Ellis, you know, and his movies like Less Than Zero and The Rules of Attraction, where he tried to, you know, make museum pieces of what he saw as, you know, mid-80s and late-80s personalities. Uh in particular, he looked at MTV, video culture, woman culture, you know, uh, and all that about how how it's possible for for people growing up at our age, but maybe a little bit older, to live in what he called was a media bubble, and therefore not to have to make moral choices. So I, you know, I think this cycle of saying ah, causation and correlation are the same thing, you know, technology, the new technology that that. Uh, that uh, generations, younger generations sort of grapple with and, and come to terms with quicker defines their behaviour because they're at a very critical, you know, formative age. It's it's a common argument that reappears every, every, every other generation, I think, you know. And I'm not really sure if it's not just young people being young people at the time. But is it is it possible that young people in Gen Z have not been affected by social media? No, no, it, it isn't. It isn't not possible. They definitely have their behaviour is different, but whether it's different to a level that it affects their fundamental morality, which I think somehow this this movie was cattle prodding us towards, or hmm. cattle prodding us towards thinking about that idea, not necessarily siding on any side. I, I don't. I don't know. You know. I think that's really a moot point, isn't it? 
just about now, around the swimming pool, before the storm has died, and as they're all cavorting around and getting getting uh, familiarised with one another, uh, an important oh, event occurs. Sorry, <laughs> an, impo- an important event occurs, which seems insignificant at the time, but turns out to be very important <laughs> later. And that is that Lee Pace's character, Greg, goes into the house briefly, comes back with uh, a yes. bottle of champagne, and... With the wisdom of his years, says, I know, let's crack and, this open. And a Gurkha sword that he's taken off the wall, apparently. And he's going to do something which I know the name of, and I bet What's Paul it doesn't. called? <laughs> it's, it's like what they do at Eton, where they, they you know, hit the, hit the bottle with the sword. I, I think it's pronounced Sabrage. Oh. But it's, it, I would have pronounced it Sabridge. I would just be terrified of small shards of glass being in champagne. So the idea, this was done apparently since Napoleonic times when soldiers would have apparently champagne. And the idea is you take a sword and you run it up the neck of the champagne bottle and instead of the cork coming out, actually the entire top of the neck of the champagne bottle pops off with the cork in it. And it, it's something you can genuinely do at home, if you like, with your champagne. Although I agree with Paul, it sounds terrifyingly dangerous to me well i mean corks themselves you know take your eye out won't they? but uh so yeah with the wisdom of his years and the experience of obviously a level of civilized society that maybe these youngsters don't have uh, he pops open the champagne bottles of the, to the process of david who Paul, says that's my dad's really really best champagne and by the way who touched that painting in the living room kind of thing no he's who took my gurkha sword off the wall that's right yeah no, but I, I I have more to say about chopping the tops of champagne bottles off. Have you ever done it, Paul? No, of course not. Ridiculous. So let me just give you a brief explanation of you how have. you do it. I've never done it myself, and I'll explain why in a moment. First of all, you're not using the sharp side of a blade because you're not chopping the glass. That's crazy, right? So what you do is you take the champagne bottle. Now, a champagne bottle has a seam up and down it oh. and it's on a long it's long length so you put the seam up uppermost right and now you're going to rest your sword or you could use a butter knife if you want or a normal knife it doesn't have to be a blade you know a proper blade so the key thing is not the blade but the striking of the bit of glass because obviously there's quite a lot of pressure in a champagne bottle yeah. I think it's like 90 or 160 PSI, something. It's quite high, anyway. There's a stress point right at the neck. And there's also a stress point along the seam. Yeah. So what you're going to do is you're going to slide the blade briskly up the seam until it contacts with the bulgy out bit at, at yeah. the top where the uh, cork is in and stuff. And doing that will shatter the bottle right at that point and the crack ah. will propagate around the top, and the whole top of the bottle will pop off with the cork inside it. What a beautiful description, Richard. All right, so it does, though, seem like a dangerous thing to do, because, as you say, a cork on its own dangerous enough. A cork surrounded by a bit of broken glass Oh yeah, especially dangerous, doesn't it? Yeah. So I wouldn't recommend that you do it. You're bound to lose some champagne. So David is yeah. palpably jealous of... Uh, of uh, what uh, what Greg manages to do. Yeah. yeah, he obviously thinks he's a bit of a dick and he doesn't like him and he's jealous and all of that stuff. But they go inside, don't they? 
and they start uh, having the usual kind of teenage party and with grotesque amount of drugs and a variety of drugs really that's really quite scary there's cocaine there's some sort of downers they've got uh they've got hash cake hash cake they've got uh, rooms and they've got trips and all this kind of stuff going on B is feeling a bit out of place, I think, because she's looking around this incredibly big and very expensive house. And she's feeling, you know, like, you know, this this is expressing a class problem that America sometimes doesn't understand that it has. I'm not sure. Maybe it does yeah. understand that it has. It's one based solely on money, I guess, isn't it? It's not, it's not a family. But it, I mean, it is anywhere, isn't it? But it's not really a family kind of lineage thing. It's just whether or not. You have money, which of course gets inherited, so it is a family lineage thing. Yeah. What do you think, Paul? Is America a classless society or not? If money, if if we're going to have a class system, I think money is probably one of the more egalitarian ways of doing it, which is a perverse thing because I mean, it's weird. It's like a meritocracy, it. is what you're e- saying. E- meritocratic or egalitarian class system, but no, I I don't think. I mean, I think compared to most societies, America is relatively classless. I mean, bees fairly much accepted. I mean, I'd like you to imagine if you turned up, you know, the uh, the well, not you because you I mean, you travel very well, Richard. But if I turned up at the Marquis of Bath's sort of uh, nephew's kind of party, which one of my friends has done. <laughs> uh, it was a fancy dress, and she went as Matthew Letizier because she couldn't afford the fancy dress. So she bought us Southampton kids and a Matthew Letizier. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I, massive, massive, you know, kind of entitled party kind of thing. And said, oh, let's go down the death slide. And, you know, they've got some sort of amusement park. And so they all went down the slide in the dark kind of thing at night. Uh, and, uh, you know, if I imagine me turning up to there, I don't think. I think there would have been some icy, distant silence for, you know, for several hours in a British situation. So I'm not prepared to say that America is, I mean, I think it is perhaps more grotesquely class-based and its class-base is, its class-base is more vulgar, you know, but I don't necessarily, I mean, I don't really believe in in dainty or or nice class systems anyway. I, I don't think... Just because a class system isn't vulgarly presented doesn't mean it isn't vulgar at its roots. It seems like a lot of politics is sewn up with political family kind of dynasties. Yeah. Which seems really strange for America, doesn't it? But American politics has kind of gone down the plug hole in the last 20 years anyway. I mean, there's no saving it, is there? <laughs> Ever since the Tea Party arrived, really. I mean, uh, that yeah. was when the Republican Party started going completely demented, didn't it? So, yeah, there, I mean, there definitely are class issues here in this movie. I mean, uh, she's I mean, she's out of a depth, isn't she, obviously? Because they're, they're, they're behaving, one, I mean, they're behaving in a really debauched way, which I'm sure she's never really... I'm sure the most she's seen is, is beer kegs at college kind of thing, you know? And, and, and two, they just have so much money and uh, a lot more experience in life that the money affords, you know? So, yeah. Now, cautionary tale here, Alice is a podcaster. She is, yeah. But which one's Alice? Alice is the one with the glowing oh, jewelry. Oh, she's the one who goes dancing with the time moon. Okay, yeah. And I think she said what a podcaster was about. I think it was hanging out with Rich her best and friend, yeah. Her rich best friend. Uh, and she said she gets guests on her podcast. An idea which we've, you know... <laughs> 
sadly doesn't always work out for us. I did invite a guest on this podcast, Paul. Did you? It didn't work out, as, you, as so often happens. Either people don't want to do it, or we can't find a time. We can barely find a time, let alone getting a third person involved. Have you tried this? You could say, uh, Paul's not coming next week. See if it's me or you that's stopping it coming on. Like an A-B test. That's yeah. Good. good thinking, yeah. So we cut to the chase. Let's, I mean, because it's really slow going, isn't it? It was about 25 minutes in before. I was actually looking at my watch thinking, when's it going to happen? When's it going to start? And it starts. Well, as it goes dark, as they start dark. playing a game called Bodies, 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 which frankly I'd never heard of. But the idea is... It's like paranoia, isn't it? Someone is... Everyone takes something out of a, a bowl. With, uh, one person's got a piece of paper with a cross on, secretly. They're the murderer. When you turn the lights out, Everyone kind of wanders and bumbles around the dark house. The murderer taps somebody on the back. That person has to play dead. When somebody finds a dead body on the ground, they shout bodies, bodies, bodies. They turn the lights on and they try and work out who was the murderer. That's right, yeah. It's like Among Us, actually, uh, played for real. You've ever played Among Us, Paul? Uh, isn't it called Paranoia? You know, one of the versions online. There's also Werewolf as well. Werewolf, I don't, yeah. I don't know about paranoia. I, but I, I've played. I, I think the one I played is in, I played it in Chinese, which was really difficult uh, during uh, our company, a couple of company holidays to, of course, in Thailand. Okay, so one, I'd never played the game before, and two, like doing it in a foreign language is really challenging. Uh, and it wasn't the werewolf one; it was it, it was similar, but they changed the names to witches and that kind of thing. So that's the only time I played it, and I didn't do very well. So you say. It's difficult playing in another language, but it is another language you speak and understand, Paul. Is it? Is it not? Yeah. Is that a, so? It's, yeah. So it's like playing yeah, it in is. another language that you can understand. I mean, true. <laughs> Look, there's no there's no shame in being bad at. Paranoia or murder or among us, whatever. Look, look. In fact, it means you're honest, honest Paul. It means lying doesn't come naturally to you. You don't, you know, deception isn't perhaps not part of your makeup. It's a, a, an accolade. You know, this is reminding me of this movie, okay? They really go for each other, don't they, in this movie? But well, not exactly. at this point. At some point. We'll get there, yeah. So they, they find Greg. In the game, they found Greg lying on the ground. Ooh, he's not moving. Bodies, bodies, bodies. Yeah, there's a few moments where they go, he's not moving. Hello, Greg, wake up, wake up there, wake up. So then David electrocutes his balls or something like that? I can't remember what he does to make him wake up. Oh, he puts his cold beer bottle on Greg's testicles. Ah, he just wake up. Uh, And it turns out, yeah, Greg was obviously, yeah, he was playing around, wasn't he? Uh, and then they debate who the murderer could have been and they're starting to, they think it could have been David maybe, but maybe it was Emma because she's an actress and maybe she knows how to lie better. And, you know, uh, they're about to make this decision. And I think the power goes out, doesn't it, at this point? Yeah. Due to the storm. And they all start wandering around. They play this game by cheating though, because certainly B is holding a phone out all the time. B wears a phone like on a lanyard around, like over a shoulder, like a sort of bag. It's quite a big phone as well. But it's always on, and it's always... Not only is the light on so that you can see things, which I'm sure is cheating in a dark game, you know, having a torch, <laughs> but also 
the screen is lit up as well, so it lights up her face. So you wouldn't be able to... Your, your dark vision would be ruined. There's a cinematic license going on there. I suppose so. It's a, the, the entire movie is basically lit by people waving mobile phones around, isn't it? Annoyingly at times, yes. Somewhat. During this dark spell, I think it's Sophie who looks out of the window at one point and she sees outside David is there. Staggering. He's staggering terrifyingly toward the window with his throat cut, apparently. And, you know, he collapses to the ground and she screams and someone else has spotted him. They all rush outside and they try and save him. But he's he's dead. He's cut his throat and he's he's just bled out and died. Right. In Luckily, front of him. it's raining heavily, so it's not going to stay in the patio. <laughs> so now they've got a real murder on their hands and... They freak they out. Understandable. Who it is. So I think there's supposed to be a sense of delicious glee where we start seeing these rich wild people really fear for their lives. But they do it all through the medium of being slighted on social media, don't they? And they start talking about how they're feeling about it all and that that someone's gaslighting them, someone's not acknowledging their feelings. And there's there's some funny moments where, you know, like one of them picks up a knife in the kitchen and the other one goes, you know, you're... You're the one waving the knife around and, and screaming and stuff. Um, so, yeah, it's quite funny, isn't it? It's a quite a light-hearted movie, isn't it, on the whole? This oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely played for laughs. Because I was not expecting it to be quite how it was. I was expecting it to be more like a slasher movie, more like a classic right. Halloween kind of someone is killing these girls off kind of movie. Yeah, That's not what it is at all, as it becomes no. more and more apparent. No, not at all. Really, it's about their social interaction, isn't it? And of course, recriminations are flying around and they start to land heavily on Greg, who... Oh, he's already gone to bed, though, hasn't he? Yeah. Because during the last last round, I think David had hit him in the face and at some stage he he goes, right, I'm going to quit. So they've searched the house for a presumed murder and they can't find it, find him or her. Uh, they kind of split up Scooby-Doo style, they shouldn't have. They kind of reconvene, and they say, wait a minute, where is Grey? Oh, right. By the way, Paul, bed. hey, listen, yeah. listen, I've got, got a question for you. One of the games that they were playing, it's a drinking game, where you slap somebody across the face quite hard, and then they drink a shot. Yeah. Is that is that a game you're familiar with? Have you ever played that game? No, and I didn't lose it either. <laughs> <laughs> when did you stop playing that game? Yes, I see. I've, I've never played that game. Uh, I've played something similar, though. It looks unpleasant. I don't want to play it. Why, why would you want to be slapped in the face? In in China, there's a, there's a, there's a similar game called Two Little Beats. Right. Two li- it's like a little rhyme, like a chant, you know, like a skipping rope rhyme, got to say, to get, like, two little bees fly into the petals fly left, fly right, and then you've either got to slap the person on the face or or do another hand signal. They've got to predict. It's like rock, paper, scissors. They've got to predict what you've got to do kind of thing. Right. Uh, and whoever gets it wrong either gets slapped or has to drink. Well, there's an element of skill or chance in that, isn't there? Mm, yeah. Unlike in this game where you just slap somebody and they drink. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Anyway, you were saying they were looking for Greg, weren't they? 
Yeah, so they've kind of become headless chickens and then reconvene and said, well, I think it's probably Greg. Let's go and find out where he is. Okay, so They all this, arm themselves with knives in the kitchen. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. In a semi-sterical manner, they, they kind of go to his bedroom. He's not there, which is an indication that it really is him, yeah. And somehow they stumble upon him in the bespoke the gymnasium. gym suite. Yeah, okay. I know, this is it's another indication of how big and ridiculous <laughs> this house is, isn't it? David's parents it's, are, yeah. yeah. There's an entire kind of gym room, huge thing, like with and, tatami mats and stuff. And, and he's there... And he's lying on the floor. This is a really funny moment. He's lying on his floor with his air- AirPods in, okay? Uh, but he's got this sort of fluorescent killer's mask on, yeah? Oh, it's uh, a very Halloween moment again, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and they're all, oh my God, like he's even wearing the mask, okay? And, and, and Alice, girlfriend, his girlfriend, yeah. he, he says, oh no, he's got, he's got a seasonal affective disorder. Yeah, so. That's his light mask, okay? <laughs> he's light there, uh, mask. <laughs> anyway, so they, they kind of wake him up tentatively and he's like, what the fuck is going on? I'm just sleeping here, you know, it's too noisy or whatever and, I had my earphones in, yeah. Yeah, which sounds like a really good alibi at the same time. And he plays, I think the actor plays this one really well because he sounds so unconvincing when he's saying these, you know, this set of lines. Okay. At one point, yeah, they've all got these knives and he's feeling a bit, you know, threatened. And I think he manages to get one off of them. And then he, there's a standoff where all brandishing knives at one another and he says, okay, someone says, let's all put the knives down together. They do. He does that. Yeah. He does that. And then someone, I think Sophie has a look at one of the knives on the ground and he sees her looking at it and they both try and go for it. And while there's a bit of a struggle with Sophie, Sophie's girlfriend, the Russian girl B, has picked up a kettlebell and she lamps him across the back of her head with it properly. And now it's to do it again because he's not quite, he's not quite unconscious or dead. And, and you wouldn't want to leave someone half unconscious or dead. Really, she does a really good job with that kettlebell. So, like, Alice, how long have you been known this man for? She's like, I don't know, a long time. Okay, I think this is a dig again about, you know, the vapidity of, of cheesy relationships. She's like, oh, like, a really long time. I know really well, like four weeks or something. Two weeks, she says. Two weeks, Two weeks. <laughs> in the end, yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, we share the same horoscope, you know, because, I mean, she's very Thai moon party, is, is Alice. You know, she's, she's big on the vibes kind of thing. Uh and uh, they're like, well, it must have been him because, like, he was a vet, a veteran of the army. You know, he had, a, he was carrying a knife and he circled the house, kind of thing. She's like, no, no, he's a veterinarian, kind of thing. Uh, and so, I think they realise at this point that genuinely, <laughs> he, he wasn't the actual the murderer they suppose. Yeah. So at this point, I think, what well, I mean, there must be a, a level of contrition and a realization that their thoughts are. Are leaving them or, or taking to places they shouldn't do. So what do they do? Is they just take more Xanax on top of whatever they've taken. A few of them take a few more lines of coke to control it all. Yeah, Sophie winds up taking a line of coke that she finds, even though she'd come out of rehab and had been declining to that point. She does break, doesn't she? And she takes a line of coke and comes down, you know, quite high <laughs> shortly afterwards. <laughs> starts accusing everybody and. There is a moment where um, I think Emma comes up to Sophie and they start yeah. talking about David, who, you know, their best, Sophie's best friend and her boyfriend. And there's a heated exchange. And then at some point, Emma kisses Sophie. Perhaps that's right. Yeah. The signals, I don't know. Um, and Sophie doesn't really want that. And I think she might push her away. But later on, it is explained, or Sophie admits he does push her. Later on, they find. I think Alice finds Emma's body crumpled at the bottom of the stairs 
having fallen down the stairs, yeah. presumably from that push. Were we supposed to connect that at that point? Because I didn't connect it at that point. I had to wait for Sophie's confession at the end that she actually pushed her. Me too. I think I think they cut it carefully so you didn't realise what had happened early on. However, I mean, the stairs were really bloody, weren't they? So, like, I don't know how you fall down the stairs and make that much mess. Now, the girls are getting a bit frantic, aren't they, at this point? They start accusing Sophie's girlfriend, B, because, again, she's not known her that long, only six weeks. And she's not in their social class. And apparently they'd done a Google search about her and discovered that she wasn't at the college she claimed to be at. That's right, not, yeah. Not even sure she's got the job that she claimed. So they chuck her outside. They force her out. They exile her into the storm outside. And initially she goes back to the uh, the car. Oh, you know, we missed, we missed the fact that they had tried to get out of here, hadn't they? They'd all tried. As soon as the first body was found, they tried to run away and get in Sophie's Jeep. But the battery was off and down. The battery was off because earlier, when they'd first arrived... B, who was nervous about meeting all these people, That's had gone right. back to the back. car. Yeah. And she'd opened the vanity mirror. To check her makeup or whatever. And the light had come on, because they do that. Some of them have lights in. and it had They don't the stay battery. on, though. They don't stay on when you close the doors. Oh, they do in older cars, Paul. Do they? I think so. I, I mean, you're quite right. Like, you'd think a modern car shouldn't ever flatten its battery by letting the lights stay on. That seems crazy, doesn't it? Two, I find it very unlikely that a vanity light would flatten the battery. In that amount of time? Yes. It will eventually. It will eventually, yeah. but I've left, you know, back in day, back in the days when you could leave your car lights on, I've left full head beam on for, <laughs> for about eight hours whilst I was at work, and it started fine. Fine. So, mm. yeah. But maybe... Artistic, artistic lights, let them have it, let them have it. You know, maybe that car, you know, the battery might have not been in top condition, perhaps. Yeah, it was fashionably dishevelled, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah. And, of course, I change my batteries every every year. No, oh, I never I never change the battery. <laughs> I never even topped up the, 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 the little reservoir, whatever you're supposed to do. Paul, batteries have been sealed now for longer than... Not back in the day. I mean, this was, we're talking 1988 here, Richard. Or yes, yes, Paul. You used to have to buy distilled water and put it in your less lead acid battery. Lead acid, that's but right. Yeah, those days are long gone. <laughs> yeah, but we're talking about the possibility of it. You know, okay, okay, your battery okay. being run down. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I've said I didn't top up my battery, even though it needed topping up, and still it was fine after several hours of head beam action. Anyway, although the car didn't work, yeah, she was able to get into the jeep to stay dry and warm. Yes, you know. well done. Well done. And when she's in there, interestingly, she gets a hoodie out that is warmer and drier, but she also finds panties, which, for complicated reasons I won't go into, she knows must be Jordan's panties. She snips them. She, she, I don't think that's why she knew who they were. Oh. I think it's because they matched the bra that was in Jordan's room. She sniffs them anyway. She does sniff them, yeah. yeah. I guess you would, wouldn't you? So would you? I don't know if I would have... My own <laughs> pants, or, you know, my, my partner's pants, definitely. But I'm not sure I'd sniff a stranger's pants. She, she concludes from this that Sophie has cheated on her with Jordan. Because there's been some kind of sexual tension going on. Yeah. With Jordan and her, with B. Sophie's been too nice, isn't she? Well, she's nice with everybody, isn't she? No, Sophie? but she's like... She's, she's being nice to B in a, in a way... That, 
isn't her. I mean, she's probably nice anyway, but it, it seems a little she, Yeah, well, it's obvious, isn't it? That she's putting a show on for B. Sophie's very happy uh, and performative about her feelings and about her love for her, isn't she? Yeah. Which is suspiciously so. Guilty feet ain't got no rhythm. Yeah. So, so we're three down. Who goes next? I, f- I forget who goes next. Whilst B is, she comes out of the car and she goes around the house trying to get back in. And she looks through a window and she sees someone getting a gun out of a drawer. Now she's certain she crawls in through the cat flap afterwards, doesn't she? Which is amazing. It's, it's a dog flap, Paul. Oh, it's huge Unless, anyway. It's a big tunnel. It's a, bit, it's a tunnel, a dog tunnel. Yeah, she crawls in. Yeah, and when she's back in, they're asking her how she got in there, but she accuses Jordan of having a gun that she saw through the window. She gets go, uh, Jordan to empty her pockets and stuff, uh, and she also uh, at, at some point Jordan also says that. Sophie, she went around and saw Sophie and they fucked in the car and that she should check Sophie's text messages. That's right, yeah. It's kind of a... Not before Jordan has a real go at Alice, I think, doesn't she? Yes, she calls her... Humdinger. Yeah, ...shallow and vapid and tells her off for always talking about her feelings and going Which on Which is fair enough, because she's a vapid kind of spoiled hippie, isn't she, so... Jordan has emptied her pockets. She didn't have a gun, but then she goes and pulls the gun out from somewhere. She points at everyone. She gets mad. There's this huge argument. She's continuing to needle Alice, and I think Alice has a go back at her. At some point, she shoots the gun. Alice and she's knee or something. She shoots Alice in the leg. Oh, the leg, right. Alice is obviously outraged that someone would shoot her, and she says it really hurts. And then there's a struggle. I think the gun goes flying, and there's a struggle on the kitchen floor and they all pile on and at some point of course the gun goes off inevitably Alice gets it that, yeah they all disentangle and Alice is sadly dead you know podcast hosts in these films, yeah, they don't do well do they they don't do well it's a warning to us all so Alice is dead now and it's Jordan Sophie and B left <laughs> No, I think it's obvious that two of them are going to survive. Yeah. And Jordan's going to cop it. Now, did at any point, did you think everybody's going to wake up and say, hey, it's just the game? It Well, it was seeming like that at some point, yeah. wasn't it? I thought at any moment David was going to wake up and say that it was all, you know, it was just a jape. Very elaborately staged, you know, costume, costume makeup and kind of thing. But at this point, as far as I can remember, there's a fight running around that big house, isn't there? And they wind up upstairs, and at some point, uh, Jordan gets flipped over the balcony, and she falls and lands on the glass table, and well, she shoots Jordan. the gun a few more times. But she's she's dead. She's done for, isn't she? Do we get the revelation now? Soon or dawn is dawning, isn't it? And I think the storm has broken. And they're going outside. And I think there's a bit of an argument between B now and Sophie. And B is saying, listen, I want to see your phone. Yes. I think she might even hold a gun at Sophie's head. There was a scramble for the gun. In fact, I thought, oh, God, is everybody going to kill each other? And they don't do. There's a massive scramble for the phone and or the gun. And eventually B comes out with the phone. Well, what's happened is, what's happened is... But it's not, just it's as not Sophie's Sophie, phone, is it? Sophie threw her phone away. 
and they scramble after it and they go through the mud. They're outside by this point. They go through all the oh, mud that's been brought in by the hurricane. And it's not her phone. And they find her phone. It's not her phone, exactly. It's David's phone. B figures out that it's David's phone. She goes over to David's body. She uses the face unlock. She opens his eyes, his eyelids with her fingers. She uses face unlock on it, which is a security concern, isn't it? Think about that if you're dead. And uh, they see the video that he was taking when he died. And the video he was taking was him trying to do sabrage with his Gurkha knife. But the wrong way around, he was, he was aiming the sword Well, he tries, it, he tries it several times, doesn't he? He does it in different directions. And eventually, he does it towards himself, <laughs> and the blade flicks across his neck, and he, he kills himself and bleeds out. Oh, heck. Which is a fittingly stupid way to die. It's probably yeah. Darwin or what stuff, isn't it? So, I mean, all these murders essentially have been for no reason whatsoever, apart from being fermented from their mutual suspicion and lack of, you know, lack of lack of faith. There we go. Apart from vapidity and uh, shallowness and what have you. And at which point, I think Max turns up and goes, hey, you know, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> Wild party, dudes. <laughs> well, not as the case may be. And that is it. So in a way, it's all a bit of a trick, isn't it, this film? Yeah. And really everything ties itself up as being you know, a terrible misunderstanding and an accident. You see, they, they, they did nicely blindside me because when they didn't wake up and say, hey, it's just a game, then you kind of put that idea that it could all be a mistake out of your mind. You think, well, gosh, you know, I mean, there really is a murderer hanging around in the bushes yeah. kind of thing. So I thought that was quite, quite a nice little kind of twist they put in there. Were you convinced by the whole sort of the background, the, the the scenery, the sort of emotional scenery that's talking about how this all came to pass because of how they are and how they behave, either as a generation or as a group of people? Well, there's just a general sense of like drama, isn't there, about, you know, relationships, about, you know, boyfriend this, girlfriend that, and who's looking at who and who's cheating on who. Uh, and, you know, obviously that's a great importance when you're that age, isn't it? And of less importance when you see things in, in perspective, I suppose. Is that is that a fair thing to say? Yeah, that is. I don't, you know, I don't want to minimise the life concerns of a young person. But the, the more things you experience, the easier it is to put things in perspective, right? At the end of the day, like, for instance, maybe Sophie and Jordan did get it on. Did... The thing is that Sophie never came clean, did she? Yeah. She assured B that she hadn't cheated with her. And we and B know that she must have done. And that's the really hurtful thing, isn't it? Probably if she'd come clean and said it, maybe she would have come across looking better. And in a way, Sophie's one of the more sympathetic characters. I I didn't particularly warm to her, to be honest with you. Did you... Warm to be, then, I suppose, is the other one you might identify with. No, I, I, no. I actually like Alice best. <laughs> okay. Well, the although she, co- podcast co-host. Because <laughs> although she was a mess, I, I, and although she wasn't honest with opinions, she thought she was being honest with her opinion. Uh, uh, sorry, her emotions, at least, yeah. Which I, I, you have to, you have to, you have to give her a plus point. That's nice. I felt, I think, closest to Sophie. And I thought Sophie was a great 
character as well, and, and well played by the actress, who was Amanda Stenberg, apparently. I think we should talk about scores, Paul, before before the storm breaks. I don't really know how to score this, Richard. Oh, God. Well, we're going to do acting to start with, right? And I thought the acting was, on the whole, pretty good. I think you've got to give props to Lee Pace as Greg. Why? Because he played, he played the role of this guy who's like, you know, generationally out of his league, but it's, he's, cool, he's cool enough to be there, actually. Kind of see why Alice might want him there. Apparently, Lee Pace practised Sabraj himself at home. Did he? With, Go stunt double. With the sword that he was given when he was playing Thanduril in Hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> So wow. it says on IMDb, and it's such a beautiful fact I had to share it. Well, the fact that stage prop could do that. But then you say you could do it with a butter knife. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I like the acting. I thought, you know, this these comic sketches of of a generation were at times really funny, you know. The kind of over-emotional, over-involved, uh, toing and froing, cross-accusatory kind of arguments where they kind of embedded themselves in in... Sort of semi-literate, temi- te- uh, sort of a psycho babble, was quite quite engaging. I thought so, and I thought the actors really took that on board and really they did inhabit their characters. You know, these weren't cardboard sketches, uh, but then again, you know, it was a comedy, and so so yeah. So I thought they kind of went to the right depth with their characters. Uh, David, in particular, played by the guy who's famous, uh, he just really had that character down. I think. You know? So, really recognisable characters. Uh, I'm going to give it a seven for the act. You fucking trigger me. <laughs> yeah, acting was good. Uh, I thought the bit at the end where Sophie and B realised what's happened and they have an amazing look on their face of, I don't know, terror, relief, horror, uh, regret... I don't know, it's just an indescribable emotion that they're expressing very well. Yeah. I thought Lee Pace was great. Um, I wasn't so convinced, honestly, by um, Alice's character, who's a bit broad brushstrokes. It was quite broad brushstrokes. Maybe I'd say the same for Pete Davidson. But I think she was going more for a comic effect, wasn't she? I look like I fuck. That was his character's big moment, I, wasn't it? I know, but it's supposed to be laughable, isn't it? Uh, so I'll give it an eight for acting. Oh, wow. Okay. Storyline. Yeah, I would say maybe for me. Uh, I was kind of expected to be wowed by it, and I wasn't. It's No. It's almost it's as rapid and coffee, shallow yeah. as, its, uh, as, as its characters are supposed yeah. to be, isn't it? I mean, nice little twist. There is no killer. But we kind of knew that, didn't we? We suspected it was just, you know, that their, their, their fears take getting the better of them. It, I would say it's sub-Hitchcockian, you know. It's not really in up there with thrill and suspense, is it? It's cute. It's funny and it's quite entertaining. It's not amazing. But it's not a master of psychology, is it? It doesn't do what Hitchcock no. does. No. So... So, uh, 6.5. I'll give it a 6. Well, we're going to be scrabbling around for another category here, aren't we? Because it's not... Blood and gore? 
Blood and gore? Okay. I mean, there's plenty of that. Isn't Blood, there? gore, and guts. Plenty of that. I mean, every death is accompanied with a satisfying amount of delicious... Squelch. <laughs> uh, especially Greg getting getting uh, hit with the kettlebell. That's particularly yeah. interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, it wasn't exquisite or balletic, but it, it did what it did. Um, it did what it said on the tin. I'm going to give it a six for Blood and Gore. Oh, it's a seven. Oh, wow. It's a splatter movie almost. And the, they didn't clean themselves very well, did they? I mean, they all went to a, a sink and rinsed themselves a bit, but the, yeah. they still had blood all over them. And I don't know. How about a generational relevance as our final I was, score? Yeah, generational relevance, yes. Does it capture the, the generation that it's aiming at? It does. No cap. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean... Uh, in 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 a way that we'll see as being inaccurate and hackneyed in maybe two or three years' time. Because we're only really just getting to know this generation in uh, their presence as a generation. So they haven't really been on media before, have they? Uh, we're only just getting to know what they're supposed to be like, not what they're actually like. You know? Just when slackers started appearing in 1990, we were all supposed to be slackers. I mean, people weren't, but then, you know... When we saw the movies, I guess some of us became slackers. Do you know what I mean? Uh, these kind of things have. Like, <laughs> it was a, aspirational, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know these kind of things have. Uh, we all started working in blockbuster video store, you know, uh, and just do weird and wacky things. These kind of things, it's like the top of the pops from nineteen seventies. Those weird feedback cameras, you know, when they've got some green weird training feedback thing going through going through the video. Uh, so I guess I don't know. At the moment, I would say, you know, fairly accurate, although it is in very broad strokes. I'm going to score it a seven for generational relevance. My mum has borderline. Oh, my God, I'm so sorry. That's really serious. Mental health is a really serious issue. I mean, I've never actually said this to anyone, but I have body dysmorphia. Oh, my (laughs) God, shut the fuck up, Alice. Yeah, uh, it's difficult to know how accurate it is, but it's an entertaining uh, yeah. pastiche. I don't think it's meant in any malice, you know. I mean, like, it's not like, oh, millennials just waste their money on avocado and toast. There's no hate involved in this characterisation, I don't think. They're not Although, millennials, Paul. No, I mean, when we when people talk about, well, when boomers, okay, are, yeah. when yeah. boomers are famed to talk about, I don't think it necessarily is boomers, when millennials say that boomers say that they eat too much avocado <laughs> and toast. Uh, you know, this generational to and fro, all of which are highly inaccurate statements. So we're heading into the stratosphere there. And, you know, that kind I of think stuff. it's Gen Xers writing about yes. what boomers say about It's Gen Xers whining and stirring the pot, definitely. Yeah. Okay. So in that sense, I don't, you know, I don't think there's any kind of malice or hate in these, in these characterizations. But as you say, you know, they might come to see pretty corny in a couple of years' time. I'll give it a seven. For an overall score... Got to be a seven for me. It is a seven, yeah. Yeah. It's not the best A24 movie we've seen, but it's quite entertaining. Uh, It won't disappoint you, probably. And catch it while you can, because I don't think it's on in the Flick House for much longer. Yeah, but it'll be soon on streaming services, Paul. It will, but it's time for the experience. As I was told by the trailers (laughs) before the movie. (laughs) Like they told you off for watching things they on say, streaming. Is, you know, had like a you know a padding camera. You know, somebody watching on TV. That's not the way to do this. You know, <laughs> somebody watching on a phone. That's definitely not the way to do this. 
You know, so you're watching an iPod while cooking, you shouldn't be watching a movie like that. This is the way to do it. In comes Adobe Sound. Now turn off your phones and enjoy. It's like, my gosh, we're in the army now kind of thing. Hectoring you. Yeah. comes to cinema. But the Hector, it's always been that kind of that sort of nice guy in the office Hector before. Like, now it's time for the main event. Wow, wouldn't it be nice if everybody turned off their phone? They'd kind of, we're assuming you're going to listen to what we're saying in a bit, you know, kind of thing. This is the first time <laughs> where I was actually told, this is the way to watch movies now. Sit down, shut up and turn off your phone. So it's quite liberating and straightforward, actually. Hey, so, Paul, hmm. I think you're going to have to choose what we watch next week. Oh, go on. We have some choices to make, don't we? From Synchronic. We do. From... The Korean horror movie called One, One Cut of the Dead. One Cut of the Dead. And was the other one? Was it Escape Room 2? Yeah, the but that's not one? on anymore, Richard, uh, unless you go to some weird streaming platform. Oh, so reject Escape Room 2. Gone. So, Paul, Synchronic or One Cut of the Dead? Ooh, you tempt me. You tempt me. But I'm going to have to go with Synchronic. Glorious tale of time travel, I assume. <laughs> okay. Oh, I never expected that. Okay. Oh, until sorry. next time. <laughs> well, we'll be watching Synchronic. And I'll be disappointed and... with you one more time. <laughs> until the next time. Until then. Thank you for listening. Ciao for now. See you in the next one. Bye. Thank you.